Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm rooting, waiting to be found. I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 643. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Yes, welcome to 643. And I'm recording in a new place. I'm shuffling around the house and everything like that. So the sound and the mic and everything might just be a little bit different. But we're still pushing out. You know what I mean? Some fantastic stories. Excellent idea. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. We have the main fiction, which is Transference by Jay Castleberg. This story first appeared in Trans Stories 2011. That's all coming in today's show. I do hope you'll stick around and enjoy it. Now, before we get into the main fiction, just first up there... So just before we kind of kick off into the show, just to give you a little heads up there, Junior, our, the youngest son, well actually the daughter's come back now, Reed, has left and flicked the nest and gone to university all the way down in Bristol, where he's studying aerospace engineering. Yes, so we took him down there yesterday and to be honest, it's just, it's just strange, very strange, but it's very exciting for me as a parent to kind of know that he's aiming to be in, you know, like, or trying his best to be into that kind of field, you know what I mean? And, and it is his dream to kind of work in the kind of, you know, everything's kind of pointing towards Mars at the moment. And even just to have, like, a, you know, work in that field a little bit would be fantastic for him. But he's got four years of university life there. So we will wait and see, but you never know. You never know. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> So anyways, let's get into the main fiction. And like I say, it is Transference by Jay Castleberg. Again, came out in 2011. Jay is a writer based somewhere in the wilds of Europe. His work, poetry, short fiction and novels have appeared in many places around the world and have been translated into several languages. Sometimes he even gets shortlisted for awards. Yes, now... This story is narrated by Mark Killifool. Mark, the encaffeinated one, Killifool is a reader, writer, gamer, podcaster, narrator, and radio program director. He produces shows on gaming, head in the game, and helps run and produce shows on alternate radio. Plays and runs role-playing games online, Legends of the Drowned Isles, and so many levels. And elsewhere, and podcasts daily, The Wandering Out Loud on life, philosophy, gaming, and random distractions in sound form. He is currently working hard on finishing his first audio drama, first novel, and second podcast novella. 
all in the span of a year. Go on there, Mark. You can find them at, and there's a little link there to Mark's site as well. So, the Starship Sova is very proud of Brazil. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. Transference by Jake Kaselberg. Read by Mark the Encaffeinated One, Kilfoyle. Sandana's Creed is a scientist, and I am he. We planned this experiment for some time. We tested it, looked at it carefully from both sides, using both parts of our personal split mind to test the proposition, the dispassionate and analytical me and the other part, both separate and together. There are risks, we have decided, but the knowledge to be gained is strong. And now, now we have made our choice. Once more, I separate and we believe we are ready. Taking one last look around my simple unadorned room, drawing a deep breath, I lift the tiny homemade syringe. What makes me hesitate? I close my eyes, take another deep breath. With a slight wince, I plunge the needle home. For a moment, I watch myself there. He hisses as pain seeps up his arm. Creed sits and flexes his arm muscles against the cauterizing burn, and I turn while I wait, dimly aware of the waves crashing against dark cliffs below. Outside the window, a seabird swoops and cries, hovering, then is gone. One mind, two minds. The alteration will be fully upon him soon, unless it kills us first. Sandana staggers to the window. He leans heavily against the frame and peers out into the darkness. Behind him, the now-empty syringe lies on the table. A thin moisture trail arcs across the surface, catching the light. Somewhere below him, all around us, a world moves. I step back inside to feel, to taste the foreign chemical crash. I want to know why the humans kept it from us. Why they denied us knowledge of this. After all, they told us we were manlike. If I could then, I would have laughed. We really are so different beneath. The substance sweeps in like a cataract, a roaring rush inside my head. I step out once more, afraid. The sensation is so unfamiliar. Normally we have complete control of the way our minds work. Sandanus grips the sill, his fingers tight, and throws back his head, standing firm against the storm, his forehead glistening. I fear for him now, fear for myself, dancing on the edges of the unknown. The humans use this chemical to enhance their minds, to control the processes they use in the vast places between the stars. Perhaps they feared what would happen if they let us have it. Slowly... Creed straightens and opens his eyes. I step back in to see. A wall of something stands between us. How can this be? A gentle touch of fear begins to build here in my partitioned self. 
Sandana stares out at the waves and water, clearly looking for a difference. A brief frown flitters across his forehead, and he turns slowly. I can tell he doesn't find the difference. I can feel it in his face. For the first time in memory, I cannot tell what he's thinking. He crosses to the table, lifts the empty syringe, then places it gently down. He runs his finger through the slight spill, breaking the even arc. This is what has happened, this severing. Silently, inside, as if there were an inside, as if I could, I groan. He stares down at the empty syringe for a long time, and then sighs. What can it be like to have something you have known all your life suddenly not there? Until now, I could step in and out at will, to separate and observe and then step back in to join the two parts of the conscious mind. That self-analysis has always been something instilled in us from the time we first formed words. My need to explore the effects of this strange chemical has produced something else. I wondered if it might enhance my own abilities, but instead, suddenly, I find myself limited. Strange. Again, I collide against the invisible barrier, and again, it denies me. This time it seems more solid. More fear rises, fluttering at my mind. Suddenly I wonder if I will die here after all. Sandanus turns. He runs a hand over the top of his smooth, domed head. With a mark of his frustration, not anger, for anger is beyond him now. That part of us lives with me. He sweeps the syringe from the table. He clatters against the wall, then tumbles to the ground. This is uncharacteristic, this display of violence. My stepping aside should have countered that within him. Sandanus is the rational part of us. I contain the passion. Is this yet another consequence of what I have done? When we were small, we were together. The ability to step outside was something taught, but something within us first. We always had the capacity to remove the irrational, the passion, from our minds. Sandana stares from the window for a time. He rubs the back of his neck, walks from the window, his shoulders slumped. I watch as he shucks off his clothes, clambers onto the sleep pallet. Once, just once, he curls his fist into a tight ball beside him on the thin mattress, discussing his failure with himself. Then he closes his eyes. After a time, his breathing becomes regular, and the tight feel of focus passes from his face. My only hope is that the chemical traces will leave his body so that I might return. I am left watching, observing, waiting. By morning, I am waiting still. When the violet light touches the horizon, my efforts to re-enter have borne no fruit, but it has given me time to think. Humans. The funny thing about these humans is that they are so like us. The differences are subtle. The hair, the skin, the intensity of their gaze. They welcomed us into the fold with open arms, yet held us at a distance. Thousands of years ago, though the counting makes no sense, the first race scattered their seeds across space, and like us, the humans were born. In that birthing, and in their shaping, they found aggression, 
the need to expand and conquer. Eventually, they found us. They treated us like their idiot half-brothers ever since. We do not have the need for acquisition. They promised us technology, and we took it, but only some. In return, they burrowed beneath our world and carted their riches away to fuel their greater need for expansion. It is that which sets us apart, more than our differences. Our people seek not to grow in numbers, but together in mind. Sandanus is stirring, and it chases thought away. He opens bleary-eyed and looks around. A moment later, and he comes to full awareness and remembers. He looks at his arm and flexes it, probing at the place where he plunged the needle. He grimaces, shakes his head, and then struggles to his feet. He stumbles around the sleep chamber, shambles into our small kitchen and fiddles with the utilities, conjuring a morning cup of tea. He moves to the window and stares out at the cliffs as he sips tentatively, a strong herbal aroma washing around his face. What will he do now? I no longer know. After a time, he moves back to the bench and places his cup down, and glances at the broken syringe lying on the floor and nods before clearing the remnants away. It takes him mere moments to dress and leave. In his hurry, he even neglects to take his name stick from its receptacle by the door. I note and wonder at this lapse, then settle back to observe. I don't think I have ever had the luxury of so much time to think. The thing that really separates us from the humans is our minds. Their attention flickers back and forth like insects in the summer heat. Our people found it hard to cope with that at first. Over time, we learned. That lack of ability to hold thought is why the humans need their chemical, or so I believe. I had overheard them talking about it. Sandanus is walking with determined step now. I watch the set of his small jaw, the concentration in his violet eyes. He flexes his hands and unflexes them, touching our paired thumbs together one on one. I know where he is headed. It is where I would go, too. As he strides, his mouth forms words, practicing what he will say. At first, the humans struggled to learn, but finally we found it was easier to let them teach us their own language. They thought they were patient and forgiving. They thought they were the generous ones. Sandanus walks between the clustered buildings, the determination still in his step. I notice the marks of civilization, their palm print upon our world, but his concentration is fixed and he passes them unseeing. The taste of failure, his inability to pass on to others of our people the knowledge of what makes these humans work, must weigh heavily upon him now. The natural response to such a burden would be the separation of minds. What would happen if he did? Would there be more than one of us? Another me? I cannot know. The base, an ordered collection of prefabricated structures, stretches across the plain ahead, the ground made dusty and bare by the tracks of their vehicles between. Lines of poles run beside them, strung together with wires that carry their power. Power. An interesting choice of word. There are humans here, moving between the buildings and the wide squat ship beyond, a vast, rounded thing, gleaming 
metallic in the morning sun. One or two of the humans glance up as Sundanus passes, then look away. What interest can they have in just another dome head? Sundanus ignores them in turn. I note with interest the aggression and the purpose in his stride. He could almost be one of them with his fixed expression. He heads across the churned-up ground and makes for the ship. As he approaches, the humans' regard becomes more intense, clearly wondering what he is doing here. A few more paces, and he stands before the entranceway. A long ramp leads to the ship's interior. Within are shadows and darkness. At the foot of the ramp stands a human, a long weapon held crossed against his chest. Sandanus approaches, and the guard steps forward. "'What do you want?' he asks. "'Your lot don't have any business here.' "'I must speak with Engineer Robertson,' says Sandanus in their tongue. The guard narrows his eyes, purses his lips. "'You wait here,' he says, and takes a step back. He flips open a small handheld device, one of their tools, he holds it up to his mouth and speaks. Patch me through the Robertson. Then a pause. Yes, Lick? There's some domey out here that says he has to talk to you. I don't know. You tell me how you tell him apart. His attention wanders, and then he looks back. Hey, he says. You got a name? Sandanes Creed. Yeah, Creed or something. There are noises. Then he turns and says, Wait here. Just once, he narrows his eyes, but Sandanus believes it is puzzlement rather than suspicion, and then the guard looks away, his interest at an end. Sandanus is fixed in his purpose now, the uncertainty gone. He stands impassively, staring straight ahead. I watch, still wondering what he's going to do. The guard's eyes flicker left and right. He appears not to be concentrating on any one thing. The slightest movement in his surroundings distracts him. He glances briefly at Sandanus, then half yawns. A movement behind him, at the lip of the ramp leading to the ship's shadowed interior, draws his head around in a slow arc. He nods once in recognition, then gestures at Sandanus with his chin and a lift of his eyebrows. These twin lines of hair above his eyes are strange things that can convey so much. The engineer appears from the shadows and walks down the ramp, a vexed expression upon his face. He has short-cropped blonde hair on top of his narrow skull. I recognize him as the one I saw before, the one I talked with, slowly and haltingly, so as not to seem too clever. Thanks, Al, he says. I'll handle this. The engineer joins Sandanus, grips him by the shoulder, and draws him urgently to one side. He looks around, checking they are out of earshot, then leans close, his voice hurried and soft. What are you doing here? I told you to never come to the ship. What are you trying to do, screw things up for both of us? Sandanus tilts his head to the side. Screw things up, he says. Ah, forget it. What do you want? He glances over his shoulder, checking on the guard. This substance has not worked. You said there was an antidote. I need it. Look, 
I got you what you wanted. That's it. I'm not going to risk my neck again. Anything else goes missing, and they'll start to notice. It's a strange thing that they cannot just take what they need. I think perhaps Sandanus is going to mention this, but then he holds up a hand. More fire stones? Sandanus says. The engineer pauses, runs his tongue over his bottom lip, and slowly shakes his head. No, it's too risky. I can't get you anything else. Now go, and don't come back again. He turns on his heel and strides back up the ramp. Sandanus stands, staring down at his hand. After a time, he closes his fingers, one by one, then his thumbs, and he too turns and leaves. Once more I test the barrier, but it lies firm, even stronger than before. I settle back again to wait, pondering the differences that set our types apart. It seems harder to think now, harder to bring coherence, as if the barrier is cutting me from my life. Panic starts to bloom, fluttering in the fragile thoughts I have left. I cannot sleep. Another night spent watching, waiting, and determining what Sandanus will do. I am worried now. Not one of us has been separated for so long. Each time I think of it, I feel the fear. Perhaps my death. There is blurriness to my thoughts, as if I am fading. He was muttering to himself as he cleared the remnants of his experiment, so I have some idea what he intends. I can see the frustration and focus. Each time he comes to the window staring out across the waves, his jaw works with silent words. He hasn't even paused for tea. The strangeness, this fixation. He knows their ship is due to depart any day now, for I know it too. The engineer spoke of it some days past, though I cannot tell how many. I cannot count the hours. Here, in this state, numbers are hard. When the ship goes... His opportunity to get what he needs will be gone with it. I think about visiting friends before he acts, to say my farewells, but even if I wanted to, I could not. Sandanus controls our form. I remember times past, shared knowledge and discovery. I wonder if I will ever touch these things again. As the darkness grows, I know that soon he, Sandanus Creed, We'll act. I only hope it will be soon enough. Sandanus moves to the window and stares out of the stone structures arrayed in the clifftop, then scratches the back of his neck and looks up at the stars. It amused us when the humans thought those structures were nothing more than religious monuments, so we let them think it. As we gathered on that clifftop to observe in silence, they thought we prayed. When they learned that we had watched their ship descend from our vantage point, they thought we prayed to them. I am relieved somewhat to see Sandanus reach for his name stick in the small receptacle just outside the door. This time he is clearer, knowing he should not set himself apart, knowing that he should give no indications that there is something wrong until he knows the reason why. It is just as well that he does so, for on his way to the alien camp, he meets another of our people. I recognize him from the namestick he carries with him. 
It is Marnith Guy. Marnith pauses politely as Sandanus strides toward him on the path. He glances briefly at the name stick Sandanus carries, then waits. Sandanus almost walks past, but then catches himself and stops. Marnith waits for a moment longer before he speaks. Sandanus Creed, are you well? Marnith Guy, and you? What did you learn today, Sandanus? Sandanus considers. I learned that the humans have a system of variable values. Something that is worth something one day is worth something else another. Marnith Guy absorbs the information and nods. Sandanus waits a moment, then asks what is proper. And Marnith Guy, what did you learn today? I learned that the current project is nearing its end. They will be moving to another place. Ah, says Sandanus. Marnith Guy is visibly surprised at the outburst, but he says nothing. Sandanus seems not to notice. Good evening to you, Sandanus Creed. Good evening, Marnith Guy. Sandanus quickens his stride, heading through darkened fields toward a glow in the valley. The only sound is the shuttle of his feet and the regular clack of his namestick against the hard-baked ground. As he draws closer, silence is replaced by the hum and whir of the human camp and the whisper of waves from the bay of the valley mouth. Closer still, and voices and lights punctuate the darkness. The bay's salt tang touches the breeze. It is an easy matter for Sandanus to slip inside the ship. The camp is full of activity, humans running back and forth. Their vehicles growl and shudder, churning up the ground. The one who stands guard is distracted. Sandanus lays his namestick flat in the shadow by a building, and using the same shadow, slides along walls, past humming power poles, and close to the great shiny arc that is their ship. He waits for a moment. The shadowed interior is still, and the guard faces the other way. They have no need to be vigilant. We have never given them cause. Knowing now what Sandanus intends is a source of brief amusement, but I am nervous, too. We have never been inside this ship, not one of us. As he quickly climbs the ramp and pulls himself inside, I settle back once more. Though Sandanus seems oblivious, there is much to learn here, much to know. Though it is harder to concentrate, I will use this time to learn. Dark, hollow, a vast space. There are doorways, and voices issue from beyond. The air smells strange, metallic. Sandanus presses himself against a wall and slides along it further into the shadows. I remember them calling this ship a jump ship, though why that is significant I do not know. Boxes, crates, other things lie around. I can only guess their purpose. Sandanus is breathing more loudly. I can sense his concentration. The fear works within me, a distraction. I can no longer separate myself from it, as I am already separated from him. I panic, try to rejoin, but the wall between us stands hard and fast. It seems to have thickened more in the intervening time. Metal. Noise. 
rich, sharp sense, and all around the unknown. It is as if removed from that which is so familiar, we are blind. The determination still courses through every action Sandanus takes, but for now I sense it is tinged with need. What does he intend? My thoughts are fogged. He finds a passageway, leans beside it, catching his breath. He listens, then slips around the door. Quickly he walks its length, comes to a junction, and darts a look from side to side. Another corridor, and he steps along it, passing more doors, listening briefly at each. Finally another, and he slips inside. Darkness. He slides down the wall and sits. Gradually his breathing slows, and I know he is thinking and planning. Metal clangs and shuddering vibrations bring us to awareness. Then the sense of motion. Sandanus tilts his head first one way, then the other, trying to make sense of what is happening. There is a sound, like something solid under strain, and the feeling of motion intensifies. Sandanus throws out a hand to steady himself, bruising a thumb in the process. His sharp intake of breath gives me the feeling of his pain, though the sensation is not with me. Awkwardly he stands, still with one hand thrust out against the wall for support. He listens. Where have you taken us, Sandanus? Would I have done the same? He listens for a while, turning his head seeking some clue beneath the creaks and strains of movement. Both excitement and fear fill me. He listens for what seems an age. After a time, the sensation of motion decreases, as if we have passed beyond some barrier. His posture relaxes. He moves toward the door in darkness and eases it gently open. Light from the passageway outside makes it hard to see, and he waits while his eyes adjust. One step into the corridor, then another. He looks in both directions, and then comes to a decision, for he turns and heads along the direction we have not been. A junction approaches, then another. I marvel at the expanse within this hollow shell. So many rooms, so many spaces. Voices come from around a corner ahead, and Sandanus presses himself back against the wall. The voices fade, and he moves on. A noise behind him makes him stop. Then a voice. Well, well, what have we here? How the heck did you get on board? Sandanus spins. A human stands before him, short, stocky, with swarthy skin, dressed in the coveralls they wear. He is reaching for the communication device at his shoulder. Hey, Jack, we got a problem down here. There's a dummy on board. How the heck should I know? The human is frowning. He lifts a hand. Now you stay right there, he says. He takes a step forward. Sandanus doesn't move, apart from a slight flexing of his thumbs. The alien looks him up and down and shakes his head. Well, I'll be. Who would have thought we'd see one of your lot here, he says. I do not understand what he means. Engineer Robertson, says Sandanus quietly. No, says the human, 
You've got the wrong man. I must speak with Engineer Robertson. The human looks puzzled, then reaches for his communicator again. Jack, yeah, listen. The dome head's saying something about Robertson. Dunno, but maybe you ought to get Robertson down here. Yep, G-14. He replaces the communicator and stands looking at St. Dennis, saying nothing. His gaze keeps flickering from one place to another on St. Dennis's face, his body, his hands. Can they not concentrate at all, these humans? Then thought drifts away from me. As we wait, an idea begins to grow. I see the shape of the corridor, slightly curved. The low lighting illuminates the human's features. He seems more relaxed here, surrounded by his equipment and machinery, surrounded by his ship. We have sought to know them and understand them, but perhaps we have been going about it the wrong way. We should have realized long ago. To study something out of its natural environment is no study at all. This thought comes upon me like a rush of joy. I have found a reason why we are here. If only I could impart this to Sandanus. But he waits, unreachable, calmly watching the human. A motion at the end of the passageway draws his case and cuts my speculation short. Two more humans move to join the first. They stand with the other, looking perplexed. Well, what the heck are we going to do about this? Says the first of the new arrivals. As if I know. Any idea how he got here? Says the second, gesturing at Santanus. I'm more interested in what we're going to do with him, says the original human. Has it said anything? Just something about wanting to see Robertson. Maybe he can tell us what's going on. Trust Slick, mutters the second new arrival. Sandanus continues to watch. I note the differences between these humans. Of the two new arrivals, the first is tall, thin, and pale-haired. The second is a broad man with rich brown skin. I wonder if they feel isolated from one another, looking so different. Another human approaches from the other direction. I recognize him as the one called Engineer Robertson. Robertson misses a stride when he sees Sandanus and mutters something short and harsh. The brown-skinned one starts talking to him before Robertson has even reached our position. They are so impatient. About time you got here, Robertson. What the heck's going on? This Domi says he needs to talk to you. How should I know? Says Robertson. He looks uncomfortable, fidgeting where he stands. Well, he asked for you by name. Just maybe we thought you might be able to give us some idea what he's doing here. Robertson licks his lips. Listen, I don't know what goes on inside their heads any more than you do. Not my problem. You deal with it. Engineer Robertson, says Sandanus quietly. You must give me the antidote. Robertson's skin pales visibly. Antidote, says the brown-skinned one narrowing his eyes. Antidote to what? I don't know what it's talking about, crazy dome head. The thin one grabs Robertson's arm. The action shocks me. Few circumstances warrant such physical contact. What have you done, Slick? He says. Robertson shakes off the other's grip and steps back. 
I told you, I don't know what he's talking about. His voice is raised, and his gestures agitated. The short, swarthy one lifts up his hands. Look, he says, this isn't solving our problem. We can't turn the ship around this far out just to drop this one back planet side. What are we going to do with him? I know what I'm going to do with him, says Robertson, between gritted teeth. He takes a menacing step forward. A hand makes a fist. The tall one steps between us. He grabs Robertson by his upraised arm and holds him back. That's enough, he says. Lock the dummy up until we work out what this is all about. We can work out what we're going to do with him later. Slick, you come with me and don't try anything. The brown-skinned one reaches a hand towards Sandanus, but he shrinks back from the contact. It's all right. I'm not going to hurt you, says the human and reaches again. Sandanus takes a full step back. Okay, if that's the way you want it, just come with me. I don't want to have to force you. Yes, says Sandanus. I will come. And obediently falls in behind. This new side to the humans interests me greatly. The aggression between each other is unexpected. Robertson's reactions showed nervousness, as if he feared something from the others, and then the threatened violence. It opens up so many possibilities. I am eager, but a little afraid now. I cannot convey my thoughts, and Sandanus appears unaffected by their actions. The human leads Sandanus to a small room, bare except for a bed built into the wall. He closes the door behind him as he leaves. There is a sound that I presume indicates a lock of some sort, and I am left alone to consider our situation. Sandanus sits calmly to wait. I have no perception of how much time has passed when the gut-wrenching sensation sweeps through me and invokes the fear response. Sandanus must have noticed it, but he remains calm, focused. Is this my death, the final wrench that casts me from him for good? Panic rises, and I can sense the wall still there between us. But no, it is movement, something outside. I have been aware of the motion around me, but this is different. I feel as if every part of me has been flipped to another place. I am floating in a place with no boundaries, with no support. The fear drives me to attempt to rejoin, but again I am denied. Why does Santanus not react? I cannot understand. Then my capacity for thought starts to trickle away as waves of panic press hard within my mind. I barely notice as the door opens up again. My thoughts are tumbling, like the sensation that runs through the ship. I know a little of their technology, but I cannot believe that this is right. I can no longer judge the passage of time. The tall, blonde human steps into the room and stands looking down at Sandanus. With one hand he hefts a thin metallic device, a tubular arrangement. So, says the human, what are we going to do with you? He scratches the back of his neck. Robertson told us what he did. I guess you couldn't have known. Sandanus looks up blankly. I wonder if you even understand, says the alien. 
When Robertson took the serum, he left the locker open. The vials were exposed. It's as if the human is speaking to himself rather than Sandanus. Well, whatever. You can't be blamed for that. He stands, watching, considering. He hefts what he carries again, then slowly holds out the device for Sandanus to see. This is what you came for, says the human. It's not much use to us now. The serum was spoiled. No point having an antidote to something that doesn't work in the first place. We're lost. We're all in trouble. It may take us months, years to get back home. We don't know how long, and there's no real point in you suffering whatever you're going through in the meantime. Sandanus reaches purposely for the cylinder, but then stops. Lost. What does this mean? He says. Not that you'll understand, but with the serum spoiled, there's no way to navigate. Our navigators need the stuff to suppress parts of their minds so they can focus. Our navigational controls don't function the same way when we've jumped. The normal physical laws don't apply. It all has to be done by people in their heads. We've got nobody to do it. We don't know where we are, and we have no way of knowing. Sandanus's hand hovers over the cylindrical device. He is concentrating hard. The sensation of tumbling is still with me, and I don't know what Sandanus is thinking. My thoughts are too confused. Perhaps I can help, Sandanus says. Help? The human laughs, but there is no humor in the sound. It is because you cannot focus, cannot sustain concentration on the one thing, that you need this serum. The human is frowning now. Yes, but... Sandanus waits patiently for the alien to finish what he is saying, but nothing further comes. It is because of the knowledge I sought, says Sandanus, that this chemical has been damaged. Let your navigators show me what they do and how. There are great possibilities here, great possibilities. The human is shaking his head. Who would have thought it? he says quietly to himself. He chews on his lower lip and finally speaks again, slowly, as if unsure about what he's saying. I don't know what you're telling me. Take me to your navigators. I must speak with them, says Sandanus. What about this? says the human, holding out the antidote. I cannot be sure what it will do. The result could be unpredictable, and it is certainty we require. It is best that you keep it until after. Perhaps then. The human pockets the tube, looking doubtful. All right, then. You'd better come with me. It might be worth a shot. Heaven knows anything's worth a shot. He draws a hesitant breath, and then nods. He opens the door and waits as Sandanus stands and joins him. This way, he says. All along the passageways, the human keeps looking at Sandanus with a curious expression on his face. The time that follows is blurred. More humans, and information flowing over me in a barrage. It tumbles past my mind, flipping off and away like the sensations that hover within me. Numbers and formulae 
flow past my ears, beyond my comprehension. Numbers are still too hard, even more so. I can feel myself fading, drifting into strands of sensation and thought. I am barely aware of what's happening, what Santanis is doing, but whatever it is, I will be gone soon. Knowing that brings sadness, not panic. This separation is finally causing me to drift away. Sandanis listens and talks, listens and talks. There are arguments, debates among the humans, but none of them make sense. Some of them shout. Then one says something and Sandanis acts. He touches machines and devices, consults displays, the humans watch him eagerly, guardedly. I can feel their tension. Finally, after a long time, Sandanus sits back. It is done. The tumbling sensation fades. The feeling of dissipation is still with me. I notice things in snatches now. One of the humans... A navigator leans over and presses things on the control panel. Another human peers at the display, touches more things, then slowly stands. One of them says something. There are sounds among the others, then slowly silence gathers. The humans are standing looking at Sandanus. Sandanus reaches out a hand. Now, please, he says. The antidote. Sandanus presses a device to his arm. No pain this time. A wind sweeps across me, then a torrent. I am swept up, dragged through a tunnel, and down, down into... Sandanus Creed is a scientist, and I am he. Slowly, I turn to look at the assembled faces, down at the cylinder held loosely within my grasp, and I laugh. I laugh at what I have discovered and what I know. I laugh at what I have learned. I laugh at the expressions on the aliens' faces, and I laugh at the possibilities of what lies before us together— this is what the chemical is for, this simple thing. The new knowledge now has true value. The quest was not in vain after all. Then comes a new realization, one that I have had already. We are not so different after all. And there you go. Huge thank you to J.J. Thank you so much indeed. That's all just excellent absolutely love that thank you indeed and mark it is a pleasure to have you on again so just keep on kind of putting them stories out for that's fantastic so that is today's show i hope you enjoyed it like i say we are here i'm gonna to have to have a word with gary our editor see if we can kind of well actually the bloody uk it looks like we're going back into some sort of kind of strange lockdown and we went and started doing this kind of fortnightly just because it was a bit well, it was, it was impossible to kind of carry on. But I'm not sure, you know, how over there in America, is. it's just, it's still difficult, I think. But I'll have a little chat with Gary if we can get this back on the weekly. Who knows? Maybe in a couple of months' time anyways. But, you know, keep support. That would be fantastic. We're over on 
Patreon. That would be amazing. Do do think about it, please. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening. I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there